Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney, and we do not have normal weeks anymore, do we? This week we had a shooting at a practice for the congressional baseball game, and I'll be talking about that in, in detail with Cliff Schechter later in the episode. We learned finally that Donald Trump actually is under investigation, and I'll be talking about that later too, of course. But I want to start talking about something that happened at the beginning of the week. Uh, podcast weeks, by the way, are Friday to Friday. This is your religion now. So last Friday, Trump held a press conference with the president of Romania. And in Trump time, a week ago is about 3,000 years. So you might not remember how absolutely bonkers this press conference was. Heck, if you weren't watching it live, you might not even have heard how crazy it was. Because in this dark, nightmare alternate universe we inhabit, a press conference where the President of the United States says multiple things that would initiate huge scandals in the real universe we used to live in, it barely registered. But what do I always tell you? This is not normal, and I'm not going to treat it like it's normal. I want to go through a few things Trump said during the press conference that should send you into paroxysms of various feelings. We'll start with Cutter. The nation of Qatar, unfortunately, has historically been a funder of terrorism at a very high level. And in the wake of that conference, nations came together and spoke to me about confronting Qatar over its behavior. So we had a decision to make. Do we take the easy road, or do we finally take a hard but necessary action? We have to stop the funding of terrorism. I decided, along with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, our great generals and military people, the time had come to call on Qatar to end its funding they have to end that funding and its extremist ideology in terms of funding. Did you get that? He decided. I want to put that into context. If you've been listening, you know a group of Arab and North African nations cut off ties with Qatar and instituted a blockade. Last week, I talked about how Trump recklessly took sides in the fight despite having our biggest military base in the Middle East in Qatar. But with that quote, he went even further, actually taking credit for the decision to isolate Qatar, which A, isn't true, and B, would have been fantastically stupid. Look, this isn't an easy crisis to navigate, but everything he's done has been exactly wrong. He says he's trying to fight terrorism funding, but he's just picking sides between funders, probably because the king of Saudi Arabia did a good job flattering him. And the Qatar crisis isn't the only thing he got wrong in his press conference. But I will say this, that because of our actions, money is starting to pour in to NATO. The money is starting to pour in. That's just a flat-out lie. Or if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, he has no idea what he's talking about. Money isn't pouring into NATO. Trump is trying to get NATO countries to spend more of their own money on their own militaries. And you can debate whether that's a good idea or not. It's not my area of expertise. But we don't know if those efforts are bearing fruit yet. And even if they do, it won't mean money is pouring into NATO. So is he lying or is he confused? With Trump, it can be hard to tell. 
So this press conference came right after Jim Comey's testimony. And of course, the press had questions for Trump about that. But Trump was very reassuring. No collusion, no obstruction. He's a leaker. Can we talk about how he sounded exactly like Alec Baldwin's impression of him right there? It is uncanny. You, you can't parody this guy. But Trump went further. He directly accused Jim Comey of lying under oath. And some of the things that he said just weren't true. Uh, Mr. President, um, I want to get back to James Comey's testimony. You suggested he didn't tell the truth in everything he said. Uh, he did say under oath that you told him to let the Flynn, uh, you, you said you hoped the Flynn investigation, you could let, he could I didn't let say that. So he lied about that. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, I will tell you, I didn't say that. But if he did say those things. And loyal. there'd be nothing wrong if I did say it, according to everybody that I've read today. But I did not say that. They would have been okay, you guys. Of course they wouldn't have been okay. And they're not okay because he's not telling the truth. Listen, I've got my problems with Jim Comey, but when it comes to who is more credible between him and Trump, it's not even close. So yes, Trump told Comey to back off Flynn. Trump asked Comey for his loyalty. He's been proven a liar on so many items, big and small. Why would we possibly believe him when he contradicts Comey? Lying like that at a press conference is one thing. Lying under oath is another. There's no way he would ever testify. So he said those things under oath. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. Those okay, I'll be honest. I, I think that's bullshit too. Trump is never ever going to testify under oath about this stuff if he can avoid it. But I hope he can't because I would love to hear his answers to those same questions with potential perjury charges on the line. Or maybe he'll prove us all wrong when he finally releases those tapes of his conversations with Comey. And you seem to be hinting that there are recordings of those conversations. I'm not hinting anything. I'll tell you about it over a very short period of time. Okay. Okay. Do you have a question here? When, when, when will you tell us about the recordings? Over a fairly short period of time. Are there tapes, sir? Oh, you're going to be very disappointed when you hear the answer. Don't worry. Guys, I don't want to disappoint you, but there are no tapes. It's been a week and he still hasn't announced if they exist. So either they do exist and they disprove his point or he just threw out the threat of tapes because he's an agent of chaos who loves attention. Personally, I'm pretty sure it's the latter. Lies and empty threats, they're signature Trump moves. So are rambling press conferences where he repeatedly demonstrates he's beyond unfit to occupy the office he holds. But even if this one wasn't unique, it was an absolute classic of the genre. Tapes or no tapes, the investigation is moving forward. And there's been one argument pushed relentlessly by Trump, the administration, its surrogates and allies, and even Republicans in Congress. Trump himself is not under investigation. Jim Comey told Trump that on multiple occasions, he was not the direct target of an investigation. But the problem with that argument is that in wide-ranging investigations like this one, people who aren't targets can become targets. You never know what you'll find when you start overturning stones. Look at how during the Clinton years, a special investigation into a failed real estate deal turned into impeaching a president for getting a Hummer and lying about it. So maybe Trump wasn't a target when he talked to Comey, but then he fired Comey. And that changed things. Firing the guy investigating your campaign and your associates, especially after you told him to back off the investigation and he refused, and you asked him for personal loyalty, and he refused, that looks bad. 
which is why it came out Wednesday to the surprise of absolutely no one that Trump is now, in fact, a target of the investigation, specifically for trying to obstruct it. Oops. So, if you're under investigation, what's your next move? Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I was president of my high school mock trial team, so I feel confident saying, you shut the hell up. But this is Donald Trump. He doesn't shut the hell up. So after the Washington Post reported Wednesday that Trump was under investigation, the next morning, he took to Twitter. Of course. They made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof, so now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. Nice. You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history led by some very bad and conflicted people. So instead of doing not just the sensible thing, but the obvious thing and going into deep no-comment mode, Trump himself confirmed the story was correct, that he's under investigation, and attacked the guy investigating him, a lifelong civil servant with a sterling reputation for honesty and thoroughness, short of taking a piss on Bob Mueller's leg, I am hard-pressed to think of anything stupider Trump could have done. There were rumors floating around earlier in the week that Trump was thinking about firing Mueller, and I think it's inevitable now. And the real question is whether, if he does, Republicans will do anything about it, because that's when the impeachment talk will heat up. Personally, I don't have much confidence that they will ever stand up to Trump. If you watch the Republicans on the Senate Intelligence Committee when Jeff Sessions came to testify this week, you'd understand why. They sounded more like Trump surrogates defending him on Fox News than senators exercising their oversight responsibilities. But I can't figure out why the administration sent Sessions up to the Hill in the first place. When he was asked about his own contacts with the Russians, he peppered his testimony with enough I don't recalls to make him look like he was lying through his teeth. He couldn't contradict anything Comey claimed about his conversations with Trump, and Sessions refused to answer any questions about his own discussions with the president, despite having no legal basis to do so. His testimony didn't answer any lingering questions. It just raised more, and it made everyone connected to Trump look even more suspicious. And let's be honest, the president doesn't need any help when it comes to making himself look suspicious. Hey, were you planning a vacation to Cuba? Well, too bad. Donald Trump says you can't go now. Well, you probably can't go, and it's definitely going to be more of a pain in the ass. A few years ago, President Obama started the process of normalizing relations with Cuba. We reopened embassies in each other's capitals. Obama himself visited Cuba last year. And the State Department lifted a lot of restrictions on travel to Cuba. It wasn't just tourists who could take advantage, of course. People who had been separated from their families for years could finally reunite. This is one of those policies that was overwhelmingly popular. But a small group of politically powerful Cuban nationals who have always supported maximum sanctions against the Castro governments, opposed the policy, and Trump promised to roll it back. And give Trump credit for this. He does sometimes keep his awful promises. He issued a directive effectively re-banning tourism travel to the island. If you do want to take a trip to Cuba, you have to prove you have a full itinerary of events promoting engagement with the Cuban people. And you can't do any business with the military-owned corporation that controls much of the communist nation's economy, which is tough since they own about 80% of the hotels. Trump's justification for rolling back the Obama policy is that it hasn't worked. And 
yes, it's true. We're a year or so into the policy and the government of Cuba has not yet collapsed and been replaced with a capitalist utopia. I I guess you could call that a failure. Trump's solution? Go back toward the old policy. That policy has the advantage of not having worked for decades and decades. Great plan. I don't think it's any surprise to hear the Trump presidency and especially Scott Pruitt's tenure at the Environmental Protection Agency is a boon for the fossil fuel industry and a disaster for the environment. Pruitt's claim to fame in his last job as Oklahoma's attorney general was suing the EPA for trying to protect the environment. He's taking care of that problem, believe you me. And there were a few good examples this week covered on Twitter by Eric Lipton of the New York Times. I'll link to his tweets on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. First, the EPA delayed rules for the oil and gas industry to detect leaks, especially of methane, which can cause serious pollution problems on top of being 30 times as powerful as CO2 when it comes to climate change. The Environmental Defense Fund called the delay unconscionable, given that we have the technology to implement the rules. Why the delay? Because industry asked for it, and the lawyer at the Department of Justice in charge of shepherding the delay through the legal process? He used to work for the energy industry, because of course he did. And Pruitt has been exceedingly tight with the fossil fuel industry since his days in Oklahoma. These days, he's meeting with the American Petroleum Institute for drinks in, of course, the Trump International Hotel. The EPA's own filing says delaying the rule will have a disproportionate effect on children, and then argues it doesn't matter because it's only a two-year delay. But let me ask you a question. What do you think Scott Pruitt will do in two years when the time comes to implement the rule? If you guessed he'll put the rule in place, I have a small covered bridge to sell you. And it's not just the EPA. This week, the Interior Department also held off implementing a separate rule designed to curb methane emissions. You need to remember, these aren't dumb people. They work for a dumb guy, yes, but they're not dumb. They know these rules are important to protect the environment. I bet, despite their dodges and protests, that they know climate change is a real threat. They just don't care. These are the folks who go to fancy events with CEOs and lobbyists of the industries they're supposed to regulate. They either work for them or will work for them after they leave government service, or both. Trump said he's going to drain the swamp. This is it. This is the swamp. And thanks to Trump's own officials, it's as smelly and dirty as it's ever been. Before I get to this week's interview, it was actually available a day early to my supporters on Patreon. And I'll be doing that regularly. I'll upload special previews like this uh, and bonus content just for the people who support the podcast. And of course, I have some cool rewards. Uh, My wife helped me design these great stickers uh, you can see on the Patreon page itself. That's at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Trump scorecard. But I hope you'll decide to give because you don't just enjoy this podcast, but because you find real value in it. And if you do, please help me keep it going. You can give just a few bucks per episode or a lot of bucks per episode if you like. I won't stop you. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I've set a goal for 50 patrons supporting the podcast. And I'm halfway there, which is awesome. So please help me get the rest of the way there. Uh, Go right now or 
when you get in front of a computer to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Trump Scorecard. I need your help to keep this podcast going. Thanks so much. Even though it's not directly related to Trump, I do want to talk about the shooting of Republican members of Congress at the the baseball game practice on Wednesday. It it was a a horrific tragedy. And anytime anything like this happens, I personally hope for the same thing, that we will finally wake up and pass some kind of sensible gun control legislation that will reduce not only these incidents, but gun violence across the board, from gang shootings to domestic violence to suicides— So, is there a chance that that this attack, which directly targeted Republican members of Congress, will finally allow some kind of gun control legislation to see the light of day? No. I think I'd say at this particular moment, the prospects are zero. Not very optimistic, I know. I talked to my friend Cliff Schechter. He writes about gun violence at the Daily Beast and, and works as a consultant for organizations like Everytown for Gun Safety and the Brady Campaign trying to pass gun safety laws. Why is he so pessimistic? The NRA, um, you know, literally hit a bank shot from their own side of the court in putting about one of the few organizations that got big behind Donald Trump because they knew Hillary Clinton was not going to be their ally. Um, And through every loophole from the Russians to the Electoral College, Donald Trump got in and they got what they wanted. So there's no way Trump is going to turn his back on them. And sadly, with the Republican House and Senate, you know, Gabby Giffords, uh, I mean, I guess everything's political these days. Some might say, well, she was a Democrat and this is a Republican. But with the amount of money the NRA puts into the process and the fact that these guys, um, it, it's even more important the NRA people miss the sort of the, the propaganda machine on the right that we've allowed to proliferate, that we know that did not exist 30, 40 years ago. The fact that somebody in one market can be getting their news from, you know, the Sinclair Media Group that's right wing on their local news. They can be getting Fox as they're, as they're you know, watching that nationally. Uh, they can be, you know, going to Breitbart doing, I mean, I mean, hell, if you live in the New York area, you could be, uh, you can have Rupert Murdoch basically ruling your world. And yet you get your national Fox, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, you don't see anything but, but you know, News Corps type publications that tend to be very, very pro-gun no matter what the consequence. People basically are told every day that guns protect them and much like how climate science is called, you know, a hoax and other things, they're told, they're not told that you're, you're 450% more likely if you have a gun in the home. And numerous folks have looked at this and, and essentially will find that there's a 450% chance if you had a gun in the home, for, you're that much more likely to have somebody yourself or your kids or someone else shop than somebody invading your home. Um, but they don't, people don't hear that, you know, they don't hear about, about, uh, the dangers of having guns unlocked in your home and, and that somebody with, you know, who intends to do something nefarious can steal it and go out and, and commit a crime or that someone who's depressed uh, is, is about, I mean, there's the, the statistics on suicide are insane and they're not even close. And most methods of suicide, one would try, uh, there's like a somewhere around a 10% success rate. But if you use a firearm, it's just the opposite. It's over 90%. I mean, you know, so, but people aren't, don't hear these things. I mean, we have them in mainstream outlets and everything, but if you want to just, you know, rely on right-wing propaganda. So this is a long way of saying, sadly, I, I don't see the prospect of, of, of this going forward while the right is in control. I asked Cliff what his first reaction was when he heard about the shooting. Shock to a certain degree, but, but 
you know, once I got past that, uh, wow, another member of Congress has been shot. Um, again, it sort of, it, I was reminded that this happens to 93 people a day. And so these were the unlucky people who were shot today. And so I had a couple of reactions. One was one, you know, that I always have with these things, which is just, you know, sorrow and, and feeling terrible that, that this kind of thing happens in what is supposed to be an advanced democracy and that we have all the available evidence and tools <clears throat> to make this something that happens maybe 20 or 30 percent as often as it does and we choose not to. It's true. We're not doing enough. And it's frustrating that even the targets of this violence likely won't get how important it is to finally take action. But my second reaction, and I'll be quite honest about this, was one where when I heard who it happened to, um, it, it doesn't mean that in any way I would I want anyone on the right to to suffer this kind of an injury because I don't. But it didn't. I, I absolutely thought about the fact that it is the policy supported by people like Steve Scalise, uh, who was there. Jeff Flake was there, who promised Gabby Giffords to her face that he was going to vote vote for background checks after Newtown when we had that horrible, you know, tragedy that nobody I think will ever fully get over. And and Flake, of course, then went back on his word to her, uh, and and helped filibuster the most basic bill in the world, something that really. Is really just the sort of as elementary as it can be doing a basic background check on somebody before they get their hands on a weapon that kills people. So it doesn't mean I, no, there's no happiness in me. I still feel sad for them that they were the victims of this. At the same time, it's hard for me not to, to think about the fact that, you know, this is something that we all live with because of the way they vote. This is a choice that's been made. We don't have to live this way. And now the, the way they voted came back to haunt them as it will all of us at some point, because we all now end up knowing people who either have been shot or have been at, you know, had to run and been had, uh, in places where there have been shootings uh, and these kinds of things, because we're choosing to hand out guns like candy in this country. I think for everyone who cares about this issue, the massacre at Newtown was a touchstone. When nothing was done in the aftermath, not a single bill passed Congress, it was hard to imagine anything would ever be done. 20 dead children, and we can't act. We couldn't pass a single bill. And there was a lot of legislation considered after Newtown, and it was all common sense stuff. Passing these bills should have been a no-brainer. There were two bills that really are just very, two parts of this. So there were four different votes, and two of them were just very basic. One was, was a background check bill that would say, that if you have a red flag due to the fact that you've committed a crime before a felony, uh, or if you've been deemed mentally unfit uh, by, having, by having been involuntarily um, put in an institution, that you would be unable uh, to, to buy a firearm. A background check would be done, and if you fell into those categories, uh, you wouldn't be able to do it. Second one was really just, I mean, almost more elementary, which was to try to, to pass a law to have a federal standard to stop people from, from gun running, you know, uh, basically make it a federal crime that somebody buys guns to, to uh, you know, as a straw purchaser to sell them in large quantities so that, so that the other people they buy them for don't have to go through background checks, that would be a federal crime. And the, I mean, that those two things went, you know, were defeated is ridiculous. There also was an assault weapons ban and high capacity um, magazine uh, band that were in there that would have limited it to, a, to I believe, it was 10 bullets 
Um, and also, you know, would ban assault weapons, and those two failed by even bigger margins. One of the things that's most frustrating about all these bills is that they're popular. The American people are behind them by wide margins. Since that time, the Democratic Party has definitely moved to the left on this issue. Uh, the country has moved to the left on this issue. Uh, and, and, you know, 90 plus percent of people are in favor of both of the first two elements I, I named there, I, you know, stopping you know, gun running and gun smuggling and and uh, having universal background checks. Uh, and somewhere around 65, 70 percent are in favor of, of a assault weapons ban or, or a high capacity magazine ban. And yet, you know, these yet here we are. None of that's been done because Republicans and a couple of Democrats, most of whom no longer are in Congress because they lost anyhow. Uh, in the Senate, blocked a vote from coming up on that bill. I asked Cliff if he could pass one bill, what would his top priority be? It would definitely be universal background checks. Um, I mean, think of all the things that one wants to do in life. Think of whether you'd let somebody babysit your kids if they, there wasn't a background check of some sort, if you didn't know them. Or, I mean, you know, we, we, do, we conduct background checks for all sorts of things in our society. You know, um, but somehow not for this, which is insane. Um, you know, uh, and and so I I think that that would be the first process to to weeding out the you know because again it's not most people who are the problem here, but there is a, a percent of people that are the problem now. The, the the problem for the rest of us is that's the NRA's business model is for those people who are who are mentally unfit and who are criminals to keep buying guns and selling them. That would be why they were so against the, the, you know, the, the ban on gun smuggling, because people who give the NRA money, i.e. gun manufacturers, people who sell them on, 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 at uh, flea markets or whatever, they, they profit from this, and they don't want this system to go. I just the way you ask yourself, why don't we have a, a law that makes people report lost and stolen guns? Because, oops, if a bunch of guns fall off the back of a truck you know, and don't get reported, somebody profits when they're sold. I mean, in, look, in the end, I think uh, universal background checks are our best vehicle, but there are others that would be necessary. You know, just like we can never be certain if one particular hurricane is the result of global warming, we can never be sure if any one law would have stopped a particular violent incident. Gun control laws are about reducing violence. We'll never eliminate it completely. Every murder, every mass shooting is unique, and Wednesday's attack was no different. I'll be honest, I was shocked when I found out that the perpetrator was a hardcore lefty. And while my politics looked different than his, I was furious at him in a way I haven't been with other mass shooters, because his attack feeds claims of left-wing violence. But it was a good reminder that violence like this, even violence with an ideological basis, isn't really about ideology. Because what incidences like this have in common aren't an ideology, right? Hate is hate. And the biggest predictor of whether someone will be violent isn't who they voted for or what their religion is. It's whether they have a history of domestic violence. This guy did, and he's not the only one. Well, we just had the one-year anniversary, sadly, of, of the Orlando Pulse shooting and uh, the nightclub shooting. And in that shooting, again, we had someone who convicted who had committed acts of domestic violence um, the Navy Yard shooting in Washington, D.C., where a disgruntled uh, man went in and started shooting people at the Navy Yard, that another case where there was domestic violence. Um, there, there was the misogynistic rhetoric you're talking about and sort of 
those kinds of tendencies. You you will find that in the the terrible the Isla Vista the Santa Barbara massacre, um, and you also will find that um, in the shooting that occurred um, at the and uh, in, in Tucson, which now we're going back to another congressional shooting with Gabby Giffords, with some of the statements that were made um, online. I mean, it, it's a pattern. And, and it, look, there's no easy fix to any of this. I'm not saying that, if, you know, we are, we're a country that believes in free speech. So I'm not saying if somebody says some misogynistic things, we should take away guns. But there are a number of cases here among the ones we're talking about where people have actually been convicted and they either will plea something down to a misdemeanor or because it's a loophole, because to, for it to be domestic violence, you have to either cohabitate with someone, be married, have been married to them, or have children with them. So if it's just a boyfriend, let's say, they don't consider it domestic violence. And um, and so, you know, there's some states that pass gun violence restraining orders trying to get guns out of people's hands. So if you if someone is, you know, making statements that are threatening uh, a, a number of people, well, California has this now, and Washington State passed it. Others are looking at it. Um, a number of either relatives, coworkers, others can go and get a judge to take away this person's guns, and they would have to go before the judge. They have to sign affidavits. It's, that means a legal process, and this person would have to go before a judge and argue that they are mentally fit and why they should be able to get their guns back. Again, trying to find a balance between people's safety and someone's rights. Long odds or not, we need to continue fighting to keep guns out of the hands of people like this, because no matter what anyone says about the Second Amendment, gun owners aren't the only ones with rights in this country. We're not just interested in, in whatever we think the Second Amendment says, and we don't need to get in that whole debate, but let's just say it's not what the right thinks it says, but other parts of the Constitution that, that guarantee you things like domestic tranquility, you know, or the right to the general welfare, which are right up there in the preamble of the Constitution, that we take those seriously too. And we have those rights, all of us who don't want to live in a society where there are bullets flying everywhere. I want to finish where I started this week, talking about that bonkers press conference Trump had with the president of Romania. Here's one last clip. Oh, I look at those hands up there, President. Do you have this in Romania, too? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I got the microphone. Oh, boy. If you allow me, if Mr. I could only, If I could only sell that, if I could only sell it. Who would like to ask? Should I take one of the killer networks that treat me so badly as fake news? Should I do that? Huh? It's the perfect Trump moment. First, he brags about having a bunch of reporters wanting to ask him questions, as though that's an unusual occurrence at a White House press conference. The press? Wanting to ask the president questions? Has that ever happened before in the history of America, ever? Then he says he wishes he could sell it, which, okay, it's a weird attempt at humor, but it's a good reminder of his attitude toward his own presidency. Don't forget, one of the first things he did after winning the election was to double the initiation fee at Mar-a-Lago. This is a guy who's going to try to get as much money as he can out of this job. And then, of course, he throws in one of his whiny attacks on the media, because even though he's the super tough alpha male America's been waiting for, he still can't handle being criticized even a tiny little bit. That 20 seconds is the perfect distillation of Donald Trump as a human being. And he is a shitty human being. That's it for another week with my sweaty night terrors serving as President of the United States. I want to thank Cliff Schechter for coming on to talk gun control with me, and also to Eric Lipton of the New York Times for his excellent coverage on Twitter of the administration's attacks on the environment. With all the big stories, 
these moves can get lost and they're important. And I'm so glad there are people like Lipton paying attention. Remember, uh, you can check out his thread and all the stories I talked about today on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. And don't forget to help me keep bringing this podcast to you every week. For just a few bucks per episode, you can keep the Trump Scorecard going. If you find it valuable, please pitch in. That's at patreon.org slash thetrumpscorecard. Don't forget to like the podcast on Facebook. That's at facebook.com slash the Trump scorecard. And find me on Twitter at Jesse Bernie. And if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, especially unvarnished praise, email me at the Trump scorecard at gmail.com. He's a leaker. The Trump scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Bernie. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week. And remember, this is not normal. <laughs> <laughs>